0: Fraternal greetings and a warm welcome to India's first and only Freemasonic podcast, The Ashlers, a unique podcast that is hosted by masons aiming to share information and the timeless wisdom around Freemasonry with the rest of the world, thus sharing the light of masonry far and wide. As a disclaimer, the thoughts and opinions shared by the hosts and participants on The Ashlers is solely their own and thus do not represent any official positions or proclamations of any Grand Lords thereof. Be assured that best efforts have been made to keep the conversations and presentations on the level for brethren and non-Masons alike. Hello and welcome, folks, to yet another episode of the Ashlers, India's one and only Freemasonry-based podcast. This is episode 10, and we are going to be concluding the paper by Right Worshipful Brother PK Muthukumar Swami from Lodge Rajasabhai number 212, Madurai. Now, this paper by itself has been an amazing journey. We have Uh, You know, it's quite lengthy. So we had to break it up into three portions. Um, The first part. The second part have been phenomenal, and I'll try and summarize it real quick. And the third part is what Ranesh will explain. So before we go to go to that, let me summarize part one and two. And if that piques your interest, I would highly recommend to go to our podcast. Check out episodes eight and nine. That's where the first two portions are covered. Now, in both of those portions, we had a chronological journey of sorts about the rise of Freemasonry. And that's what the paper is titled as, The Rise of Freemasonry. We saw how the, you know, operative masons, people who actually worked on stone, who built buildings, how, uh, you know, plagues and different kingdoms, and rulers came and influenced and created demand, diminished demand in one way or the other for this particular craft, for people to build buildings and whatnot. How that came along, we understood how the evolution of the word lodge started off, what it meant back then, how it has transcended into what we know a lodge as today. And then we also got an insight as to how Scottish uh, influence shaped masonry back then how it gave it a structure how certain people played a major role in giving it a a foundation on which this gentle craft has evolved into what we practice it as today in today's time so from that particular journey we now come to a conclusion and we will be talking about some key things that even as non-masons they might have heard of it And as masons, I'm sure you have heard of it. We will talk about that a little more. So without further ado, Rinesh, please tell us what are we covering in today's paper?
1: Thanks, Shishir, for this. Um, As you rightly mentioned, right, this paper by Right Worshipful Brother, Dr. P.K. Muthukumar Swami has been a journey of itself right we have tried covering this actually as a matter of fact i remember we spoke about this and we thought we'll do this in one episode and suddenly i realized that we will not be able to do justice to the episode we won't be able to give a quality content to our listeners if we try compressing it and i'm pretty sure nobody wants us to listen for uh, like for that long and go blabber all and all about it that's the reason why we divided it and the division was in a very uh what should i say Beautiful manner, you know, because we spoke about, as you mentioned about the first first part, what did we cover? Second part, where, where did we go to? And now comes the third part. Now, people are obviously waiting and wondering what exactly are we covering in the third part? Very simple. It's the transition. The transition of from operative masonry to speculative masonry. Now, today, when we use the word mason, right, by default, many people think it is all about actual working. So when I say somebody that I'm a Freemason, I remember one of the person actually told me, one of a brother actually told me that when he informed his colleagues that he's a Freemason, they literally divided the word into Freemason. That means like free work done by a Mason. I'm like, well, that's a very good idea. But unfortunately, that is not what we do. So this is exactly where things shape up. Why am I a member of a group which has its beginning from stonemasonry? Why is a non-operative person, non-operative masons like Shishir and Rinesh, part of a group called Freemasons, which actually started as stonemasons? And this is exactly what is covered in this paper. So very early in the uh, Scottish Masonic history, there have been appearances of non-operative masons in this group. Now, how did it start or why did it start is something based on speculations. Because we don't have an idea. Because nobody actually written that down. Because these records are from somewhere in the 17th century and 16th century, right? And still, it was only about mentioning those people. Like, for example, a person called John Boswell, he was a prominent landowner in uh, Scotland, rather in Edinburgh. He had actually present in the meeting of an operative lodge. This was back in June 1600. And it's mentioned in the minutes of that meeting that along with him, there were others present on that day. Now, when he says others or rather when it is written others, it is not other people. It is other non-operative masons. What were they doing? Why did they join? No idea. The same lodge also records uh, the admission of three gentlemen as fellow of the craft, which is exactly what the second degree is all about, fellow craft. This was in 1634, so you can imagine these guys who are not masons are actually becoming member. Down south in England, there is another uh, person called, uh, who was an antiquary and a scholar, Elias Ashmole. He was made a Freemason at Warrington in Lancashire in the year 1646. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have much details, but Elias Ashmole is known to keep a record of all the things which used to happen in his life. And in that, he had actually mentioned that he joined this lodge along with other members who were not masons, but they, we became, we became freemasons that day and all that point. And that is exactly what this paper is going to talk about. But before we move on to how did this come into place, there is a very interesting point which... Shishir will start off and I will expand on that and then he will continue, which is the Worshipful Company of Freemasons, which is not us, but it is something similar, but a little different.
0: Now, um, you know, to elaborate on this, the Worshipful Company of Freemasons. First of all, that's a pretty (laughs) interesting name by itself. Now, what happened, you know, in the mid 14th century, there were a bunch of Masons in London who kind of organized themselves into like a guild or like a livery company, livery company in the sense like they identified themselves with certain uh, kind of one might say like a uniform of or or um, uh, symbols, something that made it clear that these guys are actually part of a particular kind of a group. Now, they organize themselves like that and they call themselves the worshipful company of Freemasons of the city of London. Now, what happened eventually during the early mid 17th century, by around that time, the company, you know, started to become a little irrelevant. Uh, It started to have a diminished level of commanding importance or had less of an authoritative sort of a figure over the trade of masonry. And they started to sort of decline from that. And they were not able to get much operative masons as members. So operative masons, again, people who actually worked in the trade of masonry, working with stones, tools, you know, creating buildings and whatnot. So they were not able to get more members to join. And so it so happens that, you know, they kind of opened their doors a little more. And then on several occasions, so I think one of the earliest records is from 1612 onwards, It seems like the company uh, were made available to people who were operative masons, but not necessarily practicing it. So they knew what operative masonry is, but they were not into the trade anymore, or they even included people for a fee who were not masons at all. And this was done through something called an exception. Now what is exception? And that is something I'll now go back to Rinesh to talk more about. Rinesh, over to you.
1: So, Asception is actually a group within a group. So, obviously, as uh, Shishir mentioned about the Worshipful Company of Freemasons, these were the group of people who formed a guild. And uh, they were able to obviously administer certain important uh, information on how things certain certain things should be done or how it it should be actually working on these stuff and all that stuff. But as he mentioned, right, that there was a certain group of people who wanted to become a member of these things. But were not able to because they were not actually masons and that's when this exception was formed this was an inner fraternity within this worshipful company of freemasons or rather the london company of freemasons because it was predominantly for uh the city of london now this exception apparently practiced a secret esoteric and admitted non-operatives also membership uh for the uh, of the exception these members necessarily oh, sorry did not necessarily follow membership of the company so they might not have been members of the worshipful company of freemasons but they're definitely here however all those who are members of the worshipful company of freemasons they could also join this they were admitted they were paid a lesser fee and all all those stuff are there and there were many people who were not from the same field but they were able to come together now the company thus had a dual condition in the later part of the 17th century There being on the one hand operative members who were skilled masons and on the other non-operative who were made up of two classes actually. Those who had joined for social reasons and those who had become accepted or speculative or symbolic. So the philosophical angle kind of gets into this. It must be pointed out here that apart from the exception in London, we have no other evidence in England of the prevalence of non-operative gentlemen joining an operative lodge unlike what we have seen in Scotland, which I mentioned earlier in this paper. So it is reasonable to assume that quite a number of these non-operative masons came into this company, not just for social advantages, but merely so they might enter upon this exception to understand what exactly this esoteric or the secret portion is all about. They definitely came here for the speculative or the symbolic or the philosophical sense of it. And they go so far as to express the belief that with regards to these people who had become members, their only hope of becoming men, which uh, as uh, you being a member of the Worshipful Company of Freemasons, that they should first of all become accepted masons. So they needed to be accepted. And hence, the root of the word exception was actually used. In other words, they should be initiated in the lodge, held in this place, But this, it seems, is mere conjecture. We are on safer ground when we say that as the number of trade members fell away and consequently fewer of them entered upon this exception, so the proportion of non-operatives accepted tended to increase. A little too mouthful for uh, the word exception and accepted and all those things. However, the idea was that until you do not become a member of such a group, you will not be considered as an accepted mason. And those who know the full name of our Grand Lodge, which is the Free and Accepted Masons, ancient Free and Accepted Mason. That accepted actually comes from these things. It is, as per the paper, as one of the many theories which is available.
0: I used to always kind of wonder that why do we say Free and Accepted Masons, Um, but then you know going through our ritual and you know rules and regulations act. I kind of felt maybe that is what it is but you know to know that the word itself goes so far back centuries back (laughs) this is quite humbling to really see you know the evolution of certain uh, simple things might come about now taking off from there I think it's pretty clear to see the trend right how things have been evolving and if you have been following closely especially going by what uh, Rinesh mentioned and what even I mentioned a little earlier in this uh, paper. It's pretty clear that somewhere down the line, this transition had begun in its own little way. The transition from operative masons to speculative masons. Now, when we talk about that particular transition, there's one important thing the paper points out with the start of written records you know from 1599 onwards a lot of lodges started to include or accept people as members uh in you know who had no connection to the craft of stone masonry at all so these were people who were you know free thinkers maybe you know scientists or you know learned men what have you but they were interested in the craft but they had no idea about what stone masonry, so to speak, is all about. Now there are some theories. One strand of the transition theory is that some of the English gentlemen, uh, people from England who traveled over to Scotland, they saw masonry in some way or the other, and they kind of felt that this is a good pastime. and uh, you know they they decided that it's you know why don't we have lodges in England as well? So when they returned back to England, they set up their own lodges over there. An alternative theory says that these Scottish stonemasons who were seeking work in England, they created lodges and they began admitting anyone and everyone so that they would have larger numbers to support themselves, to support stonemasons, to have strength in numbers basically. And sometimes they would include people who were not strictly stonemasons in their lodges. So again, you know, running after numbers. In this case, it's a happy ending because you know it has transformed masonry into a craft where people come to get better uh, in in the uh, in their own life, so to speak. Now, there are certain things with regards to the spread of masonry in this way. Renish, you want to talk more about that?
1: Oh yes, I would. Um, but just to actually add to that point which you just mentioned, right? that the Scottish stonemasons who were seeking work in England created lodges there, right? Isn't this what we spoke about in our first season as well? Like, why did Freemasonry come to India? Or why did Freemasonry actually go to any of the places where uh, uh, England was ruling or rather where England had actually control? So that it gives that home feeling or a place where when their guys come from their country and come to a new or foreign land they are able to take care of each other like instead of just going and randomly standing at some place and saying oh I don't know what to do you suddenly have that alumni kind of a feel right and that's exactly what these things would have been so can I I just add to that yes yes you can
0: yeah so uh, so for listeners who are probably listening to our podcast uh, from a very recent standpoint What Rinesh is alluding to is to uh, some of our, I think, episode one, two or three uh, of season one. So that's the formative foundational episodes of this podcast. Uh, Those of you who are new to our podcast or who are non-Masons, I would highly recommend go and listen to those uh, particular episodes as well. And the reason why I say that is because That particular season kicked off the spread of masonry in India, specifically our country. And that's important because further down, when we talk more about the lodge, uh, you'll get to know why that is so important. Uh, The other point is when you come to a new place, it's a new culture, new people, new food, environment, clothing, you know, whatnot. In such a scenario, having... Even a glimpse, a fleeting glimpse of something familiar is uh, that is something that gives you hope, but it also gives you strength. And in this sentence, which says that people from Scotland who came over to England set up lodges and they were including people to have strength in numbers. Well, it's obvious, right? They're in a new country. And, you know, although today, if you look at the map of UK, Scotland, they're all pretty close Kind of like the states in India. But again, if you see the history of that part of the world, it's, it's, it has its own you know dynamics. right? So anyone from any part of those lands would want to have more people on their side. And that's what probably fueled this run for numbers to create lodges and
1: set themselves up for success in essence. With the spread of Freemasonry, inside and outside its borders, now three different types of lodges now existed within Scotland. First, traditional stonemason lodges, such as those at Kilwinning, which came to be in existence in 1599. Uh, Then there were lodges of mixed membership, such as those of Aberdeen, which was probably founded around 1670. And then there were lodges which had no connection with stonemasonry, such as those founded in 1702 in the hamlet at Ockfoot in the Scottish borders. So... Now you know where exactly all these things are coming from. Somehow, all these three things were able to live in peaceful method, I would say. Then a form of speculative Freemasonry developed in some new lodges in both Scotland and England, wherein these mixtures were interesting. Now speculative in the sense, because these lodges themselves were established by men who had a connection with Stonemasonry. But the current members or the members who were actually joining them were no longer Stonemasons. But they were speculating about what stonemasons did in their lodges. So what their secrets were, what was their knowledge which they had. And somehow they were trying to bring that knowledge, bring those speculation uh, and add that philosophical element to it and create what we know today. Speculative masonry actually owes a lot to the same worshipful company of Freemasons which she spoke about, which started in the city of London trying to bring non-Freemasons into the group asking them to help them so that they can actually take care of each other or maybe just to ensure that there are some dues so that they can actually hold their meetings or and you know there are so many things which a club actually needs to do or a group needs to do and that same thing they were not able to do because they were actually like the few and few people were becoming members so that's when they opened the doors to non-members as sorry non-Masons as well and that's exactly what the idea was and I think that is some sort of a precursor to what we have noticed in freemasonry after a point of time stonemasons started reducing speculative masons started increasing and not just to be a part of a group or like a club like okay let's just come and hang out no that was not the aim these speculative masons were very interesting because they actually wanted to understand what those stone masons used to do not the way they will cut the stone and all, but they wanted to bring the philosophical element. And that actually has a lot of weightage compared to just knowing the craft or knowing the way they work. They wanted to do that so that it brings value to what is happening in your life. They wanted to understand those points so that they can actually say, you know what, I'm not just being part of a group of stonemasons or a freemason. I want to understand their work, but also try to make sense of it, which can actually be, applicable in my life. And that's where all these tools and uh, instruments and everything which is available as part of stonemasonry, we are able to understand that in today's world by that philosophical meaning or the symbolism of that.
0: And, you know, that overall now transitions into a big milestone. And that milestone is the creation of the Grand Lodge. Now, it is said that this happened back in 1717. And the other important thing is, while you know the the Grand Lodges initially started off within London, it's sto- slowly, or well, not so slowly, if, if you think about how you know far it's come, it actually very quickly spread its roots all over the world. And one of the key places it did that was in India now why is this important not just the fact that it came to India pretty soon but the fact that you know a grand lodge was set up the way I see this and I'm speculating here but just my two cents in this this is important because once you have people of a certain mindset come together it's only natural to try and organize oneself to try and have you know some sort of order being put to so-called chaos there has to be that one brain that dictates or controls or supervises what else is happening below and that's where this thought of organizing i think is important Because it then shows that masonry has taken root in a new way and a new era has begun.
1: What do you think, Rinesh? I'm just curious to know what you're thinking when I say this. No, I kind of agree with what you're trying to say, right? Like, what's the point of just... Being good men, if you're not able to uh, help others, what is the point of uh, not able to influence others with your action? And that is exactly what I think the idea would have been. Because the first Grand Lodge, which started back in on 24th June 1717, which coincidentally in India, or at least as part of the Grand Lodge of India, we celebrate it as the Universal Brotherhood Day, because that's the day when the first Grand Lodge came into existence. Now, obviously, at that time, it was uh, actually called as the Grand Lodge of uh, Ing- uh, London and Westminster. So a uh, bit of a different name in today's date. And why obviously London and Westminster? Because there were only four lodges which actually came into being with them. So that is exactly why. But those four lodges came together thinking that we need to take care of certain things like understanding who has to do what what kind of charity might have be ha- happening or who needs help because we have members who might be not feeling well right now or might be going through some troubles and they all came together to do something like this and that is exactly what the idea of the grand lodge was so Shishir, i completely agree with your point this was just my uh, if that was your two cents i think this was my half a cent of it
0: Thanks for that, Rinesh. All right, so let's spend a few moments on understanding the growth and spread of Masonry. Now, this one very nice line in this particular paper that I'll read as it is it says, All Freemasonry in existence today can be traced through one channel or another to the Grand Lords of England. And I think, at least as far as India is concerned, that's very true. Now, the founding, uh, you know, the founding lodges, like Rinesh mentioned, was confined to England. But then they quickly spread over to, you know, other areas beyond just England or London. They, in fact, went forward and some of the first overseas lodges were at Gibraltar and Fort Williams, that is Calcutta or Kolkata, that is in India. And then in Madrid. Now, there's one line I would like to read verbatim as it is. Uh, In fact, one small paragraph. The first constitutions of the Grand Lords were drawn up by the Reverend James Anderson. This is back in 1723. The constitution contained a largely imaginary history, uh, several charges of a Freemason, and 39 general regulations which formed the chief feature of the work. Another early action by the Grand Lords, was the setting up of the general charity which was a centralized charity scheme that became operative in 1729 now the reason why i have read this particular paragraph verbatim is because of two very important things first if you caught this it says largely imaginary history now there are a lot of stories that are part of the freemasonic lore nowhere does it say that this is all truth or if this is all absolute history of humanity these are not intended or not necessarily it has to be true what is more important is that we imbibe the lessons from those stories we internalize the teachings Uh, we understand what is being conveyed the message is important not the messenger the messenger could be anyone Today, one could read the life history of Steve Jobs, for example. He may not be the most perfect person and I'm just taking a random example here, don't hold me to it. I'm just taking a random example because whatever or however it is, he has achieved some great things in his life and that affects us today. So the message from his life is important. It could inspire one to do something different and maybe be the next you know, Steve Jobs in the history of mankind. Who knows? But that's important. Second thing is the general charity that was set up. Now that, if you see, it shows a massive, massive, epic proportions of shift in the mindset. People came together. And I'm just speculating again here. Maybe charity was one of their important things that they wanted to do. And they felt that coming together is going to make that happen. Right, so they set that up, and even today, charity plays a very important role as Freemasons, no matter who they are, no matter where they are. But this is one of the important foundation stones for a Freemason as of today. So, Rinish, there's one important part of Royal Freemasons that you might want to talk about. Go yeah. ahead.
1: So, it was in 1737 that the first English royal initiation took place, that of Frederick Lewis, Prince of Wales. Uh, since then, a long association has existed between the British royal family and the craft. And, as a matter of fact, the current uh, Grand Master of the United Grand Lodge of England is actually Prince Edward, the Duke of Kent. And this is not to showcase. We, we are not just trying to add that the who's who is actually there in Freemasonry but it was to showcase that common man like Shishir and me are also part of this humble craft along with the Grandmaster uh, of the United Grand Lodge of England who's Prince Edward Duke of Kent we have kings and rulers we have uh, certain um, ex- uh, what do you call it? so big folks whom when we think about like oh my goodness he's such an amazing fellow because he's been doing so many things that's exactly where we are we all have been part of this we all are here together and just to and by the way this paper obviously reminds us where we started and where we have come with that I would like to thank once again right worshipful brother Dr. P.K. Muthukumar Swami for giving us this beautiful paper for allowing us to read this paper uh, for our listeners and to ensure and any of the listeners who are interested in getting this paper please do reach out to us our email address is available in the show notes please reach out and we will be more than happy to share this but the idea would be that you share this ahead Let's what should it what what do you call pay it forward right like share it in your lodge share it with among people who are interested about this whole rise of Freemasonry which they would like take it as part of something which you would like to discuss during a dinner uh, as a conversation during your dinner or your lunch or whichever is possible when you meet your brethren of your lodge with that I would like to thank you for staying with us for listening to us and uh, Shishar, I think you do a better closing than I do. <laughs> thanks ranish so uh
0: dear listeners i really hope you have enjoyed this beautiful journey of this paper we thoroughly enjoyed it and you know before every recording we both come together and because we are you know pretty busy with our own personal lives and professional work and what not we actually read portions of the paper just a few minutes before recording we decide who's going to talk about what and we you know sort of go in that way But this paper made that entire process really enjoyable because sometimes we will be like, oh my God, this is also there. we have to talk about this. And then how do we decide? And all all of that dynamics happens. Uh, I think that really makes this entire process of bringing this podcast to you that much more enjoyable because we not only learn, we discover. And that excitement I hope is showing up because we are really excited to talk about it. (laughs) So with that being said, uh, we will be choosing our next paper very soon. For brethren out there who would love to share their paper uh, you know, with us so that we can feature it, we can talk about it and share your wisdom with the rest of the world, please uh, reach out to us. If you're part of the Masonic groups uh, that we both might be in, uh, DM uh, any one of us or email us. The email is in the show notes. So with that, I wish everyone all the very best. Until the next time. Keep listening. The Ashler's Podcast. Goodbye. And thank you. And that's a wrap. We thank you for your time and hope that we have been able to present to you the true light of masonry in yet another way. Please continue to watch out for more episodes from the Ashler's by subscribing to our channel on most of the popular podcasting platforms. Links are in the show notes and also feel free to email us at theashlerspodcast at gmail.com. Your encouragement is what keeps us motivated above all. As proud hosts of India's first and only free Masonic podcast, we wish you all the very best and until next time, The Ashlers signing off.